This is Japan Baseball Weekly, the only English podcast covering all 12 NPB teams. And now, your hosts, John E. Gibson and Jim Allen. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's for the week of December 20th. I'm John Gibson, and with me on a Saturday night, is it? It's Jim Allen. I don't even know what day it is. I don't remember what year it is, hardly. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing really good. I mean, it seems like, I don't know whether it seems like we just did one the other day or we haven't done one in forever. It's it's pod, podcast land without a, a weekly podcast is very is very strange. <laughs> well, you went on vacation, so I totally accept your <laughs> the murky land that you are hanging out in because you don't know what's what because you've been yeah, that's true, and <laughs> you don't know what day it is. I wasn't really <laughs> lounging. I wasn't lounging, but I did go to Okinawa for the first. Wait a second, time you went ever. on you went on vacation and you didn't lounge around. What is that about? Uh, that's we we went with another couple. And so there was, there were four agendas, <laughs> which meant lounging. <laughs> <Maybe even> eight. <laughs> well, I, I ate a lot. I ate, I ate, eating was part of the agenda. Okay. Eating and drinking. Um, but so everybody sort of chipped in and, but the, the point is that I normally would be lounging and I normally would have been swimming more and doing more walking and, and working out at the gym. But, uh, the thing, the the big thing was that uh, it was the first time I'd been to Okinawa when I did, ab- I I virtually did nothing, had nothing to do with baseball except uh, work on a program to scrape some baseball stats, but that was just to kill time. Some when I was waiting for somebody. <laughs> well, glad you had some vacation time. I'll try to mm-hmm. take some in. Uh, the coming year, hopefully before February, before camp starts in the middle of winter. But anyway, <laughs> on this week's show, we're going to take a look at the MVP voting, talk about Seiya Suzuki, the gold gloves, and a little bit more. And we've got some high heat, so let's start swinging. Clearing the bases! Okay, so, gosh, again, I don't know what day it is. <laughs> On Thursday night, I talked to Dave DeFreitas, and a lot of longtime listeners might recognize Dave's name. He used to come on uh, occasionally for us on the show in the early years, and he would he was scouting for the Cleveland Indians and the New York Yankees and made numerous appearances with us talking about various players as much as he could because he was a scout, so he wasn't really allowed to talk about a lot of things in detail, but he did give us some good information back then. And he has since moved to California, and he has been working for uh, KBO teams, teams for South Korean baseball teams. for South Korean baseball teams. And so he is with the KT Wiz now, and that team won the championship over there in the KBO. So um, living large because it takes an organization to win those championships. So everybody mm. keep that in mind. But uh, he used to look at a lot of MPB guys, and he still does. He keeps an eye on a lot of guys in Asia, especially uh, import players who might be let's just say uh, their contracts might not be renewed and they might be looking for work elsewhere. And that Mm. that is an opportunity for KBO teams to sign these players. So uh, he has still been following Japanese baseball and he said he even listens to us. So thank you very much, Dave. But right now, yeah, let's pour a cup of coffee and take a listen to him. 
All right, our buddy Dave DeFreitas, formerly a scout for MLB teams that were scouring MPB and looking for major league prospects, and now he's an international director with the KBO champion KT Wiz. What's happening, Dave? Good to talk to you this morning. Well, much. Uh, nice to be on again. It's been a while. It's been quite a while. I hope some of our older listeners or longtime listeners remember you. So um, thank you for getting up early and talking with us. First of all, um, we want to talk Seiya Suzuki. So for the teams that are going through this lockout situation in MLB, what does this do to the process with a posted player? You know, I don't know all the technicalities, but I would think it probably gives some teams more time to talk to the guy and do their research. Um, I would think that's kind of the case with all the free agents right now, you know, where teams can kind of get their ducks in a row mm-hmm. a little bit. I don't think the lockout has prevented anybody from communicating. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would expect more teams to be involved in him now that they have some more time to do their homework. Yeah, I thought the same thing. It just gives him more time to look at a bunch of numbers and crunch those, maybe look at some film. Now, I know you haven't seen Suzuki pretty much uh, play, but what goes into the way that teams scout these Asian stars? I mean, the everything everybody's trying to do is quantify how the, the production is going to translate. And, you know, that's always the name of the game with players going either way you know, Asia to the to the States or the States to Asia. And, you know, it's, it's no different with this guy. Um, you know, this is just obviously one of the, you know, top 1% talent in the league in Japan uh, over the last several years. And so, you know, it's, how is this guy going to, to fit with a specific ball club and how are his, how are his tools going to translate? And it looks like uh, he's set up to do pretty well. Yeah, now you and I talked a little while back uh, about some of the numbers, and uh, you noticed something about uh, velocity that he that the stats revealed. And what was that? Uh, I mean, it looks like you know the middle of the like the middle to you know above average velocity in the NPB he handles no problem, and then once you get above the you know, the one fifty three uh, with the with the heaters, that his uh, his hard contact rates fall off a little bit. Um, not uncommon, you know, it happens. You don't see it that much, uh, where, uh, in the NPB, uh, even though guys are throwing a lot harder than they used to, you know, five, 10 years ago. Sure. Um, but it's not the, you know, it's not the consistent 97, 98, 99 that you see in the big leagues nowadays. Uh, now the, the, the other side of that is the command. I think fastball command in the big leagues is, uh, is less than what you see in Japan on average. And so you're looking at guys that, you know, you look at a guy like Seiya who doesn't expand a whole lot, is going to take his walks pretty comfortable with the strike zone. Um, and maybe that little bit of dip and exit velocity that you see with the bigger, with the little fastballs uh, against him, yeah, you know, maybe that balances out because guys aren't throwing as many quality strikes to him. Right, so essentially they might be able to throw it faster, but they're not. They're not in stateside. They're not controlling it as well, and so uh, they'll have a tendency to make some hittable pitches. Let's say not necessarily mistakes, but just hittable pitches. Yeah, I mean, I would say mistakes. I think he's going to get his share of mistakes um, to handle. But yeah, you know, we're talking about a guy with uh, a different tool set than most of the other right-handed hitters that have gone over uh, from Japan to the U.S. in the past. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm thinking of some of the newer or most recent guys like Shogo Akiyama. He's left-handed, and uh, Yoshitomo Sutsugo. He's also left-handed. But these are two outfielders who I think guys stateside had a little bit more higher expectations. I didn't actually, and I'm just wondering what to think of Suzuki. I, you know, you look at some of his numbers, he's got a high OPS over a thousand four times in his career. He's coming off a, a season in which he hit 38 home runs, a career high. But I'm just concerned that a lot of people maybe think that the expectations is that he's a power hitter. And I'm just wondering, you know, when you see these different kinds of Japanese players, what should the expectations be for Suzuki as just an overall hitter? I think it should be better than what we've seen from the right-handed hitters that have come over in the past, you know, like uh, Nakajima and, um, you know, Shinjo, but way, but way back in the day, you know, yeah, totally different type of player than, than Shinjo, but, right. um, you know, I, I, like power hitter is kind of a broad term. I don't think he's a one-dimensional type guy, you know, three true outcome guy or something like that, where he's just going to walk, strike out or hit a home run. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a little better hitter than that. I think the uh, you know the twitch that he has, the bat speed, I think is going to translate. Uh, his approach, I have a tremendous feel for, just because I wasn't sitting there watching him play games mm-hmm. uh, this year. Mm-hmm. You know, other than some stuff on video. But um, yeah, I saw that his his damage numbers tended have trended towards uh, being more pull heavy the last two years, two, three years. Yeah. And so, um, like, that's something to, to think about. But his exit below numbers have stayed largely the same. So, you know, I think if uh, if this is a guy who's... I mean, Shoney's been able to make some adjustments in Japan, and the pitching there is really good. So I would expect him to be able to replicate that in the big leagues. Yeah, now defensively, I... I don't see a plus arm, although he's good. I don't see plus speed, although he's fairly fast. Um, I don't really see a great deal of raw power either, but I guess I'm saying he probably is not an all-star, but I do see an everyday player. How is that enough for big league teams? Because they have to go through this whole process, and and then the expectations get poured on top of that. I mean, I think he's going to get paid like an everyday player. Um, which, you know, I mean, uh, I don't think he would come over otherwise, but, um, you know, I mean, this looks like a fairly well-rounded, well-rounded guy who's going to give you at least average defense on a corner outfield spot, um, at least average to above average base running skills, even though he's not a base steal. Um, I think he's got more juice than, than you might be giving him credit for. Mm. Um, you know, the... Mazda Stadium is, you know, one of the bigger ones in Japan, right? So, you know, playing your home games there and still still doing the damage that he's done shows that, you know, that the, the power is, is legitimate. I think that even for a guy like Sutsugo, the power is legitimate there, but you're talking about a completely different uh, swing design and approach at the plate. And like overall tools package and while it took Sutsugo a little while to to settle in it looks like you know he found a found his home in Pittsburgh and you know finished obviously strong enough to to get another look right so, right um you know I think Seiya's a better athlete 
um, you know, a little bit more of a dynamic offensive player than, than Sutsugo is. And so I think things should translate pretty well. And if the damage is doubles or home runs, uh, I don't think it matters. I think you want a guy that's going to get on base, give you above average defense on the corner and, and be able to, you know, give you some consistent good at bats with some damage. I, I think that's, that's an everyday player. That's probably above average. Yeah. How important is the team that he goes to in the ballpark? Probably that the home ballpark he plays in. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think the ballpark metric thing overplayed a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, I think it has impact some, but I don't know that it makes a huge difference. I, I think the, the makeup of the, the lineup and the clubhouse and, you know, the culture of the team is what's going to have the most impact for him. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of Mets fans uh, or just Mets out there on on in, in the Twitterverse talking about they need to get say in. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want him going to a team like that. That would, that would just not be yeah. good. <laughs> no. I don't know where he played either, didn't they? They just signed Canna and uh, Marte, six other guys for that. But that last outfield spot, I don't know how that would work. Yeah, sure. I, I always say everything is earned anyway, so you're always good. I mean, if you hand a guy a spot, that 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 really really doesn't work either. But yeah, I, I just talking about the you talked about clubhouse and culture and and that's one place I don't think there's a, a good. And of course, I haven't been there. I haven't been covering the Mets, but from the outside looking in. You, you don't want to throw a Japanese player in the big leagues and have that be their first experience there. But um, where do you think would be a good spot for him? You know, I've seen, I saw a couple of rumors, I think it was yesterday, the day before, about uh, San Francisco. Mm. And I always felt like that was a pretty good spot for a player like him, especially with the way their roster is constructed. You know, they don't really have one like super big standout guy anymore now that Posey's retired Mm -hmm. you know I know I know Crawford had a huge year last year um yes he did yeah you know and that was like he was playing kind of at the top of what his his numbers have been over the course of his career sure peak performance (laughs) yeah he's still still a very good player but but they don't have the big like they don't have the trout or the you know the Otani or somebody like that and so you know a guy like say can come in there and kind of blend into the crowd and just go in there and do his job and have a chance to really be productive. And I think that's the type of environment that's good for these guys, uh, the the Japanese and Korean hitters that are that are going over to the big leagues. You know, I thought this morning uh, when we were chatting and setting up this interview, I thought at the exact same spot. So great minds think alike. <laughs> so um, one last yeah. question before you go. Uh, when are we going to see you here in Tokyo next? I don't know, man. That's a good question. Whenever they open the border and start allowing people to come back but uh, without having to quarantine for two weeks. Well, we 10 days or whatever, whatever whatever it is, it's it's ever changing, but we certainly miss you. We haven't seen you in a while. Glad that you could take some time and be on the show. Uh, happy to hear about, uh, the Seiya Suzuki and we're going to watch this. Hopefully the lockout will end and we can settle this, uh, early in the, in the coming year, but I don't think so. So I think this is going to drag out, but, but uh, obviously a lot of people are going to be interested in where he goes. Uh, there's going to be lots of talk once the lockout does end, and I think they're going to be pretty much on the clock. 
as soon as they do end the lockout. But it'll be fun to watch and see where he goes. And hopefully we will see you soon sometime next year, bud. Appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, always happy to do it, man. So All right. Uh, you guys do a good job. All right. Well, say hi to the family. I will. I will. Thank you. All right, Dave. Thanks again, man. Really appreciate you waking up early in the morning. He's got two young kids. He has to keep wow. quiet and <laughs> not wake up early in the morning. So appreciate that. Uh, Jim, what stuck with you? after? Well, it's good to, to hear you, Dave. I mean, it's been a while. And uh, I, I think the discussion about the players going both ways is very apt. Nobody, you know, there's no magic wand that, every, you know, every player is going to fit because... Some guys who seem, you know, some some guys who don't seem to fit the profile do, can do really well. Mm-hmm. And I've had a, a handful of guys where I said, this guy is really not the kind of guy who succeeds, but he has the stuff, you know, as a pitcher, he had the stuff to adapt and change the way he pitched here. And I've, I've seen that. Um, I'm speaking of Miles uh, Michaelis. Mm. Uh, but... It was, you know, that's an interesting point, you know, who, who's adaptable and adaptable is a big thing because you guys were talking so much about Seiya Suzuki, who is uh, on hold right now. <laughs> sure. Yes. Yeah. Very much so with the lockout going on in the, in the major they, league. So, yeah. They did start talking. They actually had their first talks. Uh, the owners uh, deigned to talk to the players. This is all the owners, you know, it's not like the players said, let's not have a have biz, you know, business as usual it was the owners decided we were going to not uh, have business as usual because, uh, because the players forced us into not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Those do the do very devious. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, anyway, to, to get on to, I think mostly I would just have a couple of comments about, um, say a Suzuki. Actually, I see him as a likely all-star and, the reason, and I don't think it's a lock. Nobody's a lock, but I no, no, see. I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine that you would come on any situation, any platform, and say it's a lock. So right, yeah. because you just don't know. As as like I said, you don't right. know. But what I see about him is, I see him making a better than normal transition to MLB than uh, a lot of other Japanese players. And the reason largely. Uh, largely because he's he's uh, a self-starter, hundred percent. You know, he's not going to be confined to what people tell him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's not programmed to do Japanese style uh, anything. <laughs> he's right. got his own program, hundred percent. So I think he'll get to spring training and say, "Okay, this is how I'm going to adapt to it," as opposed to most guys who really suffer anxiety issues when they get to spring training and they don't have every fifth and sixth day off. Right. And they don't have all day workouts and they're, they get paranoid about how much work they put in and, Oh, in spring training, get, you know, preseason games are starting and I'm not where I normally am at the start of spring training. So maybe I've got to overwork. So overtraining is an issue. Anxiety is an issue. 
these are these are big problems for a lot of players, and it often carries over into the season where you've got a you know you just can't train the way you're programmed to train. With Suzuki, I don't see that as an issue because he um, he's pretty flexible in the you know he's constantly remaking his program to fit the the current circumstances. So I think I he's going to do that, and I also think he made uh, tremendous adjustments. Uh, in 2021, when I, I looked at the the way pitchers attacked him differently than they had in the past years, mm-hmm. and he uh, developed a new power zone. Uh, low okay. end didn't used to be one of his. Uh, I do agree to some extent with Dave about the velocity. Uh, I've I've have heard that the velocity inside is an issue, uh, which is sort of like saying when it rains, people tend to get wet because it's an issue everywhere. I mean, every, everybody does worse with uh, velocity inside than they do with lower velocity inside. It's kind of a, it's kind of a normal thing, but his uh, results are not that, uh, are really not that far off the highest velocities last, the last couple of years. Okay. So I think that's more of an older thing. Uh, so that that's my thing. I, I would say his his, um, yeah, I would say his arm is not a. It's a borderline above average to plus. It's in that area, average speed. Um, but I, I guess the last thing I would want to mention is you you know because you do you frequently do ask you know about the ballpark and I get this from one of my editors with mm-hmm. Slugger Magazine when they ask. What kind of stats do you expect? And then it really matters, you know, how important is the ballpark? Because the stats, you know, the your, you know, how many home runs you hit can can vary a lot depending on where your home park is. Mm-hmm. But I, I and it's pretty rare that it affects how good a player is because, you know, yeah. Uh, runs don't always have the same value everywhere. If you you drive in, you know, if you you produce a hundred runs in San Francisco, it's not the same as it's more valuable than producing a hundred runs in Chicago. Okay, because the runs are harder to come by. But uh, as I, I certainly, uh, and not because I'm a Giants fan, but I think he would be a tremendous fit for. Uh, San Francisco because that's oh a, so you're joining a, the party <laughs> I am I am because I well first of all uh, you know he fits in with a manager who has played in Japan mm-hmm. uh, he fits not, in not very long but yeah he did he was here no but he was <laughs> talk about the cup of coffee <laughs> well it was a it was a very a big cup with very little in it. <laughs> no, no, it was, no, it was a cup of very bitter coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've talked about that. Um, we talked about that at the winter meetings. Uh, I don't remember whether it was, uh, it was when he was with the Phillies and he said like, uh, just nothing but, uh, regrets, but he's very con. It's funny because some of these, all, a lot of these guys who go to Japan, even guys who don't particularly have, outstanding time, uh, extend outstanding careers here, like Tori Lavulo, who's the manager of the, the Arizona Diamondbacks. They are very into what happened here. And mm-hmm. they learned a lot from that experience. So I think that's, a, you know, there's 
no doubt that uh, Gabe Kapler would be very impressed. You know that he he's very impressed by Japanese baseball. Obviously, he couldn't play it. Right. <laughs> you know, it was too good for him, and then it was it was really too good for him in the mindset he was in at that time. And then he went back and had success in the majors. So I think that leaves the lasting impression on you, but he's good uh, because uh, whatever, whatever the giants park is now known as is, is uh, pretty good for a right-handed power hitter. I shouldn't say that it's it's not good for a right-handed power hitter, but left-handed power hitters there uh, can really get crushed unless they're, they're Barry Bonds pretty much. Sure. Um, for me, yeah, I guess it was just it was just nice to hear an evaluator uh, talk about the pluses and minuses of a player and mm-hmm. actually diminish or downplay the the control issues that go on with pitchers in the major leagues. Now, I don't know if that if that's because I heard I think it was the Baseball Tonight podcast that I would I always listen to, and I think it was this year that I heard someone say, look, uh, a lot of a lot of pitchers get rushed to the to the big leagues in the majors right now. And that's just a thing. And so they they come up there with their issues. And one of the issues might be that they have a lot of velocity, but they, their control isn't where perhaps you needed it to be in the past to make it to the major leagues because they're, they're rushing them up. There's injuries or whatever happens. So um, so that issue that Dave mentions, I think, is a big one. And and you know, like well, I was trying to be conservative and say, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to get a lot of mistakes. And Dave said, no, 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 he's going to get mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to get mistakes. I mean, yeah. And un- so until, I mean, until they start pitching him like they did to Shohei Otani in the second half of the 2021 season, he's going to get mistakes. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I find it easy to believe that the, the, the state, the guys stateside are, are detailed, uh, uh, in a lot of the pitching phases, but the, but the control part is something we've always heard, or I've, I've since I took this job, I've heard about uh, foreign pitchers whenever Japanese teams talk about them. And, and in Japanese, they say his control is about where you want to get the ball, but they're not precise with where they want to get the ball. And so uh, that, that kind of surprises me. So I, I yeah, I, I, I just have conservative views about, uh, Suzuki, I don't want to hmm. pigeonhole him into a specific kind of a player. I think you're right. No. I, I know that he does have the ability to adjust. I just don't want think people that think, oh, this guy hit 39 home runs. He's a power hitter because I think he's 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 more than that. But, you know, if he, hmm. for instance, if he goes somewhere and he doesn't hit a bunch of home runs, people I don't want people to start thinking, oh, this guy's a bust. He doesn't hit home runs or he's another one of these Japanese players who we heard a lot about. But all he does is hit. You know, he's a right-handed Ichiro uh, without the speed. You know, I, <laughs> he, he is who he is, you know, and when he goes mm. over there, he'll be the player who I guess the pitching allows him to be. And mm. so and the ballpark, I think, is going to play. So, I mean, it depends if he goes to one of these ballparks with dramatic effects, then maybe it's going to play a role in his. Uh, well, there are, his are there numbers. any ballparks that, that kill left right-handed hitters? I, I'm not. I'm not saying that it would kill it, uh, kill his numbers. I just think it might impact it a little bit. I mean, San Diego oh, of course. can impact. The, yeah, and, and if oh, you go sure. to Boston, you can bounce a lot of balls off of that wall. Maybe now sure. some of them might have been. Doesn't home make runs, you, but, but it doesn't. But it doesn't make you a worse player. It just means no, no, no. I, I didn't say player. I said yeah, his right. results. I said his yeah. numbers. I said yeah, that's his numbers. that's. I, I see what I'm you're not saying. I'm not talking about his players. Yeah, right. Um, certainly, people are going to know what kind of player he is. So um, that was one. And the velocity, I, you know, again. 
you said he, he trains on his own and he'll be able to make adjustments and all those things. And I think it's going to be that, that situation. He's going to have a, an adjustment period. And oh, yeah. Dave talked about the fact that Tsutsugo had a long adjustment period, took him about three teams, but he finally mm-hmm. got to where he could get another contract. So he's got another opportunity. Uh, Shogo Akiyama, you know, I didn't really have high expectations for him as anything but a fourth outfielder. I think he's kind of fallen below those expectations, but he's still over there and he'll still, he still has an opportunity to uh, make an impact. Uh, he's getting older. So well, see, that was that was part of the problem to begin with. Is he didn't go until he was in his thirties. So yeah, yes, he wasn't a spring chicken. But and I I also like what Dave said about the projections, and it's definitely going to be a big adjustment for um, say to to just be over there wherever he goes. But Mm -hmm. I I, yeah, I keep trying to temper expectations, and and Dave sounds Mm. pretty positive about it. So. as long as he doesn't go to the Mets, that's a home. That's my only thing. Just don't go into a cesspool like that and uh, end up with uh, problems on management side, problems on the field, problems with the players saying things to the fans. <laughs> that was a whole mess. That whole situation. I know some of those players are already with different organizations organizations now, but. Still, it was a mess. Uh, no, well, no the, Mets, please. <laughs> yeah, the, okay. The, the the last thing I would say about uh, Seiya, before we move on to more about Seiya in a moment, is uh, is that you know he has said that his one of his priorities is winning, and that money is not the issue. As his agent Joel Wolf said just before the lockout, that teams were pretty much throwing money at him to sign before the lockout. And uh, Suzuki was not biting. Hmm. You know, he they were they were um, throwing a ton of money around, and he was saying, "No, it's up to me to decide where I want to go, and it's not. I'm not going to do it just because you're in a hurry." That's a Suzuki. That's a hundred percent Suzuki. Doesn't surprise me at all. So I think I think you know he's going to have adjustment issues, but he's also uh, doing things the way he wants to do it. I somehow see the Mets as not really being one of the teams that he would want to play for. <laughs> you think? <laughs> okay, good, good. All right, excellent, excellent. Okay, well, let's uh, make a four-seam transition now and talk about the MVP. So the voting, I think, I don't know, this. This they've been doing this awards night banquet kind of concept for a long time now. I don't remember how many years it has been, but this year seems to be particularly detached from the entire season and all the fanfare we had with the Japan series, that there's a big disconnect going on here. Uh, the last game of the Japan series was November 27th. And here we have on December 15th, this past Wednesday was the awards night featuring the MVP announcements and the top rookies and all that. But it's just, it's just so there's such a lengthy break after the season and this subsequent party and people getting all dressed up and having a nice night out is just, you know, I would like to see that a week happen, maybe at most a week after the last game of the Japan series is scheduled. And that's not the case here. I don't know how you felt about it, but it just seemed like they just made us wait so long that I, I, I'm almost not surprised that it just didn't have a lot of fanfare. I didn't seem to hmm. get a lot of play on the news. And uh... <laughs> yeah, actually, honest to the Nikon Sports had some 
completely unrelated non-sports thing on the front page the next day. So that was kind of a surprise to me. But it no, wasn't I a get it. Me. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I get it because usually it is it does have a little more jazz to it. And but you know, one of the things I think uh, they have because of the pandemic, they finally got rid of the old balloting system, which was a kanji test. Yes. <laughs> and now it's you do it on a on a spreadsheet with a pop down menus, you know. Mm-hmm. So you select the player. Drop drop down drop, menus. Drop down, yes. Excuse me. Drop down menus. That's correct. Not pop up, but drop down. I'll get my ups <laughs> I'll get my up from my down one day yes. and, pop, and then pop I'll retire. Up ads and drop down menus, yes. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Internet one oh one. Classes start to- uh January first. <laughs> I got enough on my schedule for that. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> um, it's all done in an Excel spreadsheet, but, you know, and so it technically could be done a lot more quickly, but then on the, when the ballots, when the ballot results were announced, we had a, a kind of a shocker in that the, on the, when the webpage first came out, we had Takahiro Araki of the Swallows getting a bunch of votes. And now this is a guy who, who had uh, 11 singles in 100, 11 singles, no extra base hits in 100 at bats as basically a defensive first baseman, defensive <laughs> replacement and pinch runner. <laughs> and Oops. we were talking, we were talking about on that on the internet and, uh, on the on the Twitter, and then about the time, about twenty minutes after that, those votes had been uh, assigned to Yasutaka Shiomi. But for a moment there, we thought, "Wow, Takahiro Araki is going to be the next Naoki Miyanishi." <laughs> right, and and to explain that, what was he? He was someone who got some votes. Well, N- Miyanishi has got two first place MVP award uh, votes, and uh, one of them came in 2016, and I think he was the only one who got a first place award vote other than Shohei Otani. He was the <laughs> fighter's... Uh, well, I uh, and yeah. and I don't even want to put him in the ca- same category with Takahiro Araki because Miyanishi was a key player in the fighters. He was essentially their setup man. Mm-hmm. has been for years so right yeah uh it's not like uh it's not like he was a nobody uh, okay and now i'm being mean to mr iraq he's not a nobody we know who you are okay well get, to get to the point here uh yoshinobu yamamoto uh won the mvp award in the pacific league the pitcher mm-hmm. for the orcs buffaloes and munetaka murakami was the winner in the central the yakult swallow slugger and uh, you know, I liked what some other players did, but I, I actually, with, with the actual outcome of the MVP votes, I was happy. But when you see the breakdown of the voting, I was perplexed in the especially <laughs> same in the Central League. So, and it wasn't anything to do with say a Suzuki. I was perplexed by the number of Yakult Swallows who got first, second, and third place votes and just beat the heck out of say a Suzuki in the, in terms of the rankings there, that, that just seemed odd mm. to me, but I was very happy that it was Murakami. Yeah. I actually yeah. talked to Jason Koskri and we were sitting down talking about it. And I said, look, uh, the numbers are close for say a Suzuki and uh, Murakami, but I, I, I just, for me, <laughs> you and I talked about the fact that you, when you're trying to win a game, it's about winning the game and you know, you don't reward necessarily the guy who just did the most in the game for me 
that, you know, you reward somebody who contributed to winning the game. And so for me, it was Murakami all the way, but uh, I did respect a lot of what Seiya Suzuki did, and I don't think he deserved a fifth place finish in the voting. I think he, he deserved better than that. And you would think with the top three guys being, uh, so it was, uh, I don't have the voting up in front of me here. I believe Tetsuya Yamada was second, or okay. Noboru Shimizu was second. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's so the there were two swallows following Murakami, and you would think that they would that the three of them would just split the votes, and then Seiya Suzuki would move up and actually be second, not fifth, in the voting. So I think it was Noboru Shimizu and uh, Yamada. Yamada was, Yamada was yeah. second. He had one first place vote, uh, but he got a ton. He got the bulk of the second place votes, which uh, to me seems very reasonable. And yeah. uh, Noboru Shimizu got seven first place votes, which is to me is is weird, but not not out not stupid. I mean, it's not a stupid one. It's um, not stupid. It is weird. It's not stupid though, because we did see a long time ago uh, Takuya Asao win the MVP as a setup man. So it's not completely out when, of the when the uh, same voters thought he was the second best pitcher in the Central League, right? But on the um, same pa- on the same page. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the deal is, uh, you would think all those guys would split the votes up among themselves and then allow Suzuki to get hired. He just didn't get any love at all. Well, he got. Uh, he finished uh, third in first place votes. He got five, which is which is which is weird. But you know, it's <laughs> one of those years. It's it's one of those years where the Swallows had had two good candidates. Yamada had an MVP caliber season and Murakami had an MVP caliber season. And I'm, I'm, you know, we're going to have to disagree. I mean, you're, 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 I understand where your logic is coming from saying that uh, Murakami did more to win games. He certainly didn't play in any more meaningful games because the carp were playing meaningful games right until the day they were eliminated. Yeah. I didn't say that. No, I know you didn't. I know okay. you didn't, but uh, they actually do keep a. There is there is a stat which is the uh, they keep on how much players impact the chances of winning each game. Mm-hmm. Okay, as in you get credit every time your your result increases the chance of winning the game. Sure. Right, and it's uh, called WPA and. Uh, he had uh, he led the he led NPB by a huge he, he margin. Meaning, what? He meaning Suzuki? He Suzuki, yeah. He led basically he did more to win games than by far anybody in NPB. <laughs> so okay. I mean in actual games. I mean in each each individual situation. So uh, the off the cuff sort of like Murakami Murakami was surrounded by better players. And I'm I'm not against. I think he had an MVP caliber season. I'm not aghast at his selection. I voted for Suzuki. I was one of the five people who gave him first place votes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not. You know, I'm not upset. Murakami won. I mean, it's he's a reasonable choice. The one I don't understand, and uh, uh, you know, is the same kind of thing as these sort of votes for non. Is these. 
votes for people who really have no chance of winning the first place votes for people who have no chance of winning the award. Yeah. Because, I don't know and, if that's people trying to make a statement or no, see, I, I don't think a vote for Suzuki is ridiculous because he had, you know, there's every reason, you know, he was easily, he was arguably the best player in, in, in the game. But when you vote for somebody like Naoki Miyanishi, you're voting for somebody who you know will not win, but you're right. voting for it's you have to know that or you're too dumb to vote. Okay. So you do yeah. know he's not going to win, <laughs> but so your vote is there to show some love, you know, is sort of like it's a political vote. Well, he's not, you know, the guy who I think is the best is going to win anyway. So I'm going to show some love to the other guys in the league or on the team. And I think that's the, that's what that vote means. It's somebody yeah. saying, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a, I think this guy's better, but that's why, uh, that's why Yuhei Nakamura got a vote. You know, he got some votes and Yamada, I was surprised he didn't get more first place votes, but that again, he's a direct comparison with Murakami and nobody on the Swallows is going to win a direct uh, competition with him. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I understand the stat, uh, WPA said, and, yeah. and that's fine. I, that, that, that's probably a, a good recognition of, of what someone does on the field and trying to help their team win. And, you know, you can't always control how many guys you can knock in if you happen to hit a home run nope. at a particular time. So, you know, that those are good measurements for, for stats. And, but I, I just, I, I'm not, I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to say, well, he had more home runs and he had more RBIs than other guys or anything. I, I just try to watch the games. And that's one of the reasons I'm watching the games. And one of the things I think really impacted the Swallows this year was that Munokami didn't kill them defensively like he did in tw- like the first two years of his career, essentially. He really improved defensively. And he didn't so he kill well. He was, yeah, he was, he was competent. Yeah, so that he wasn't a liability. And just improving that much helped the team in terms of, you know, getting off the field in, in certain situations. So that that was one. And he took his walks. You know, he didn't try to force the issue out there. And that's important, too. So I think he grew as a player, as a as a, a young man. He's still, what is he, 20, 21? He's still 21. a 21. Just turned 21. <laughs> yeah. And he'll so, be 20. Oh, wait, I take that back. He'll turn 20. He'll be 22 in, uh, in I think, January or February. Okay, so still a young young baby, <laughs> yeah. In, in terms of his career, so I, I just think there was a lot of growth there, and I, I'm I'm happy about that. Let's turn to the Pacific League now. I I think the the voting again in the Pacific League was let's just say eye grabbing because you, you you could figure that they were going to go, and I said they that the Japanese media members were going to go with an Oryx Buffalo player, fine. Mm-hmm. And they decided that Yamamoto just crushed it so well as a pitcher that they were going to vote for him. But, I mean, he got 283 first place votes. <laughs> yep, he didn't get three. He didn't get three. <laughs> yeah, teammate got Utah. And, and Yamamoto one, got two. And, and, and one voter and, didn't vote for him at all. Which oh, is and then, which, which I don't which I don't find offensive <laughs> because I think if if I if I didn't there, there's a scenario where I could have, you know, I could have named three guys who were uh, not pitchers, you know, Sugimoto, uh, Masataka Yoshida, and maybe Yuki Yanagita, or uh, Tomoyomori, Sugimoto, and Yanagita, and 
left Yamamoto completely off the ballot, that would have also been reasonable because they're kind of pitchers and position players are a bit apples and oranges. Right, but, right. Uh, but since none of those other guys got first place votes, I'm guessing I'm 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 befuddled a little. Yeah. Where where so, did that extra vote go to? Right. So it was Sugimoto who got two votes for uh, two first place votes, and then uh, rookie pitcher Hiroya Miyagi got the other first place which, vote. Which and, is which is I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw in here. Well, can I finish the statement? Okay, go ahead. So it ends up being Buffalo's uh, at the top four spots who get for most first place votes for MVP. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, well, what I was talking about political votes, I first noticed it with the Buffaloes this year because I was thinking about the vote for Hiroya Miyagi. Because I can understand voting for Sugimoto because he's a position player, and you you know you can value pitchers and you know the the contributions. It's like war uh, wins above replacement, which I do look mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. And I did I did had a, a fairly large diatribe about how silly it is that that pitchers get two thirds of the, the 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 win value in in war in Japan. I think it's normal in the states as well. It just really is silly considering uh, that leaves the batting and fielding to be about 42% of the game. It's almost like, you know, it's, it's weird. It doesn't make sense. But hmm. if you want to look at position players, you know, Sugimoto getting two first place votes makes perfect sense to me. But voting for Hiroya Miyagi to get one vote, giving a first place vote to somebody in a competition with Yoshinobu Yamamoto, giving another pitcher a first place vote, to me, is just asinine. I mean, it's 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 it makes no sense whatsoever because it says to you, as I said, it's either I'm too dumb to vote, or this vote isn't meant to actually think that you know to show that I think Miyagi is the best player in the Pacific League. Yeah, I, I'm actually with you on this. I, I think someone was just saying, you know what, he deserves at least one. First place vote, and I'm gonna give it to him. So that, that, yep. that but that's fine. You you do that with your vote. Um, let's move to the rookies, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some controversy here. So in the Central League, or should we start in the Pacific League? You start whichever um, Pacific, league you like. Yeah, we did the Pacific League first for the MVP. So in the Pacific we League, did the it was, Central uh, League, we started with. Okay, yeah, you're right now. Okay, so the the top rookies were Hiroya Miyagi, the above mentioned uh, Mr. Miyagi of the Buffaloes in the Pacific League, and Doji Kuribayashi of the Hiroshima Carp in the Central League. And again, you know, I I, I was talking about this all season long. I thought uh, Kuribayashi was ahead. I thought he was too much whom responsibility is given, much is also expected. And I think the expectations were much, much higher for a guy in a high, in who's in every appearance that he made was a high leverage situation, high stress, high uh, importance to the team situation, even though he only made 53 appearances. But uh, he's the rookie of the year in the Central League. He had the 81 strikeouts in his 53 appearances, a whip of uh, less than one, and allowed only five runs in his first year of professional baseball. So I, I thought that was pretty impressive. And, you know, Shugomaki of the Yokohama Bay Stars did great. He had a fantastic season. Uh, it could have been him as well. He hit 314, almost won a batting title. 
Uh, he broke Shigeo Nagashima's record for doubles as a rookie, set a record with uh, an MPB record with doubles in five consecutive plate appearances and became the first rookie since Kazuhiro Kiyohara to hit 300 or better with at least 20 home runs. So the argument can be made that he's, you know, he should have been the rookie of the year. But I claimed early on that when you put a player in high stress situations for the first time and every, as I said just a few minutes ago, every situation that he came into was basically high leverage, high stress. And he came through and passed the test with flying colors. I, I think he's deserving. Um, you could probably argue with the stats and all that stuff, but I, at least I think he's deserving. No, I, yeah, he's deserving. I, I don't think he, I think they flubbed the vote. I, I think I think there's really no way you can compare a guy who's a solid everyday position player to a guy who's who's just a good closer. And he was he was a good closer. But, well, I, I thought I just made a point that you could because every time you well, you can, it, John can, but I'm th- I'm thinking no, I I don't buy that argument. Let's just put it that way. All right, well, let's say let's say you had some situation, and you know how they had these silly shows in Japan where um, they try to put together this uh, this connection of people accomplishing these feats. One person has to throw a ball through uh, a, a tube. And they've got to they've got to throw it, and then someone takes that ball and they've got to hit it with a baseball bat and hit it into a trash can, and then it comes out of the trash can, and somebody takes the ball. Yeah, they've seen these chain reaction kind of things that they put together. You've seen those TV shows; they, they were very popular in the '90s. You saw them, right? You know what I'm talking about. Vaguely. Okay, so let's they have say silly get, shows at the end of the year. Yeah, they have all these silly shows. Well, so you, the one person throws the ball through the the tire. The next person throws it through the tube. The next person gets it and kicks it into something. And the last person has to hit, use a golf club to hit it into a hole, right? And so everybody does their job, and you get to the last person. And um, I watched a show where they they tried this thing, you know, a hundred times, and maybe fifty of the times the person who was in the last spot and had to hit it with a golf club kept missing and they all wanted to kill him. <laughs> now there's a lot less pressure when you're at the beginning and you're just trying to throw the ball and start it off and throw the ball through the tire hoop. But by the time you get to the middle and the later air, the latter stages of this thing that they're trying to complete, there's more pressure. There just is. And I just think you hand that to a rookie who goes out and every single time he's feeling that kind of pressure versus a guy who just goes out and I know he's got his four at bats and he's playing defense. They started him at, they started Maki at second base. They played him in the outfield, but he really didn't experience the kind of pressure on a daily basis. I shouldn't say daily basis because Kudibayashi didn't pitch every day, but he didn't, he just wasn't in those high leverage, high stress situations all the time. And he came through a lot and he did very well. I, I just think, I think Kudibayashi is, deserving and if you say he's deserving then you can't argue that the other guy is more deserving because deserving is no. deserving there's not really levels of it that's true no i'm just saying i don't buy that argument i i buy it to some degree i can't i can't put a put a number on it which doesn't mean i ignore it but it means that sure i don't really know where it is it's a fuzzy thing and i it's not the, i i dislike fuzzy things even as much as <laughs> as much as as much as I spout fuzzy ideas and fuzzy arguments, right. no, I told you this is this is PG thirteen rated, man. I don't, I don't know what you're talking what? about, but <laughs> I don't like I dislike fuzzy fuzzy ideas. 
John's warm and fuzzy. Good for you. You're all ready to go back to California. You're warm and fuzzy enough. Warm and um, fuzzy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so okay. But I, that's my 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 thing is I think there's a there's really a good argument. I mean, uh, for Maki. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan. I, I know there is an issue with leverage. Uh, certainly the leverage of a, of a relief pitcher is, is a huge difference from a leverage of a, of a guy. And I think also you, you could also, you one could easily factor in how important the games were because the base stars did have that situation where a lot of the games were pretty meaningless. Mm. They, I mean, the last, uh, probably the last six weeks of the season were more or less, um, you know, playing out the screen. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I, I think it was a bad choice, but that's from my point of view. I'm not, I'm not overly upset about it. Uh, <laughs> overly upset. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm, I, I think it's, I think it was a mistake, but you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not necessarily the smartest person in the room. Uh, I do. I'm not I do. saying I am either. I just, I just, you know, from a team perspective, and I, I, you know, I think I we talked before a long time ago. I said these every team, like if you're a basketball team, if you're a football team, if you're a baseball team, you're trying to get your best players in position to come through for you. And if they come through, then you're happy. And if they don't come through, then you know you say we'll get them next time. But you just have to live with the results. And I think. Uh, when you have a, 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 a young player like this, you throw into fire every time that they're doing, you know, they're going out to, to accomplish what it is, whatever their role is. Um, that's different from a guy just going out there, just playing the game. It's just different. It's different for me. And I don't think anybody thinks that Kudibayashi was the best pitcher. He was the best closer or anything. I just think they're saying that he just had such a huge impact on his team even though it didn't win a lot of games, it would have won a lot less had he not come through because he's a rookie in the, in the very high leverage, high profile situation every time he pitched. And I think they just rewarded him for that. I, I don't think it was any more than that. I think it was also, I think it's less than that. I think um, you are putting more credit to the voters than they deserve. I might I think, be. <laughs> I think I think basically they're just saying, well, he's in the news all the day. He's in the news and saves are really, really important. But, you know, oh, I'll vote for him because, you know, saves are really flashy and voters like big flashy things. They're like they're like little kids. You know, they're, they're, they're well, like shiny things. No, they just I, like I don't mean I don't mean you, and I don't mean no, me, no, no. and I don't mean Jason, but I mean the as no, a group. These reporters, they're they're lazy. Say it, they're, they're they're lazy. Whatever is right there in front of them, that's about the only thing they say. Okay, and many of you whom I do respect, and you know, I'm not talking about you, but some of you, I am talking about you. That's right. You are lazy. You are lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see who has the most home runs and RBIs. That's the that's. That's the MVP. Next. Well, I, you know, I saw I mean, a story no, and I and I couldn't find it again, but it talked about the the weird results of the best nine voting, which I'm not going to go into the details about how a league RBI leader didn't win the best nine. And how we well, gotta say the name. <laughs> well, we'll get into okay, it was a Kazumo Komodo. How strange. And another one was, oh, the player with the most hits in his league didn't win a best nine award. Scandalous. But I, I think 
one of the things, if you go through my blog this week, one of the things, oh, maybe I haven't even posted that yet. I was working on a story about weird MVP votes where, like the aforementioned one about Takuya Sao, where he, he got about, uh, he finished a distant second in the best nine voting uh, over Kazuki Yoshimi. And then he got 70%, I think Yoshimi got 76% of the best nine vote, and Asao got 76% of the uh, uh, MVP vote. So I, I, I went through the, the ones where players were, were not selected as the best player in their position, but still won an MVP. I had five uh, since 2002. And the point I, I, I would make is that these gaps have narrowed. The guys who, the guys who are really good candidates, have, as the years gone by, tended to rise higher and higher in the table. I think the I think that is because the voters are getting a little more a little more savvy as a group. A little, yeah, a little more. <laughs> Not that a much little more. more. So. There's still, yeah, there's still some of that. Well, yeah, Hiroyama, oh, Yagi, give that guy a vote. Although, yeah, so you're talking about uh, Takashi Ogino of the Lotte Marines, who led the Pacific League in hits, but wasn't just missed on the. Oh, just missed. He was. <laughs> he just missed out. He was in fourth. But yeah, um, well, well, Steve, it, I love Marines. <laughs> love Marines. Said it was a war crime that he <laughs> he missed out on a best nine vote, and Masataka Yoshida got in. And I'm thinking, come on, Steve. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 use one half of our brains. So, uh, okay, um, let's talk about the gold. Wow. Uh, well, I mean, you know, the men we usually use one side anyway. So, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, well, I only have one side. So. Us, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about the gold gloves. They were also announced while we've been away, and I don't want to go through the whole list because it's been so long. But yeah, um, I think. <sighs> Maybe the one area I had a problem was uh, in the Central League shortstop, Hayato Sakamoto picked up his fifth gold glove. And I just, I don't think I saw that from him. I saw a lot of good plays and I saw some run saving efforts throughout the season, but I, di I didn't really see gold glove. I think two guys were, and they didn't have the better fielding percentages, but they just seemed to be more consistent in their fielding and, uh, they made some more spectacular plays. And I think Kaito Kozono of Hiroshima impressed me the most. And his fielding percentage, again, a little bit lower than Sakamoto's, but he covered so much ground. And he was it was really just a challenge to try to hit the ball through the center of the field against Hiroshima with uh, Yosuke Kikuchi out there at second and uh, Kozono at, at short. And then I thought Yota Kyoda Chunichi played a, a much cleaner shortstop than Sakamoto over the course of the season although he got benched because he wasn't hitting and eventually came back in the latter stages of the season to play even better. But those two guys, I thought actually deserve, one of them deserved a gold glove, not, not so much Sakamoto. I just think he got it on reputation. What about you? You had any issues with the gold glove? Hits? I didn't have too many issues. I'm not that, I wasn't really all that upset about Sakamoto. Um, I voted for Kyoto. But I thought Sakamoto was uh, was had a, a pretty respectable season. I think he does he does most of the little things. He does pretty much all the little things well now, which is quite a different from when he he was a a young player. 
And you know, he, he yeah. said, I, I want to not make 30 errors. I want to hit 30 home runs and not make 30 errors next year. So, <laughs> and I, and I remember la- and I actually, I, when he said 30 home runs, which he did eventually hit, I kind of laughed a little and I, I kind of like gave him a wink, like, Oh, like, are they doing drug testing? You know, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe shows, you what, shows you what I know. So, <laughs> so anyway, no, I, I thought they were okay. Uh, but yeah, reputation is a big thing. Uh, the one thing I did notice, and I did a research, uh, a little bit of research on this was how often a player wins best nine, mm-hmm. uh, before they've led the league in an offensive category. Okay. 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 Or a pitch led the league in a pitching category. And for pitchers, it's happened three times in history. So basically what I'm saying is the pitching award for the gold glove, although, excuse me, I said best nine, but we're talking about pitch uh, golden gloves. Basically, although this year, um, from what I see, they were both fine. Yamamoto was one of the better fielders in the league and, and Yu Yanagi was one of the better fielders of the league. Uh, I did vote for Yanagi. I don't think I voted for Yamamoto. But my point is that basically if you don't have a really good year as a pitcher, it doesn't matter how good a fielder you are. Because nine times, basically guys who lead the league in a bunch of fielding, in a bunch of pitching categories tend to win golden gloves. Or, and the other dynamic is if you've won before. So, the guy who wins, who won the most Golden Gloves recently, was Kenta Maeda, and of course he he led. You know he got on the ball by by leading the league in some pitching categories, and then once he had a reputation, then he just kept getting it every year. Right. So right. so that's the one thing I learned about the Golden Glove voting this year. So you can find that on my blog. Okay, and I just wanted to mention because we talked about the fact that. Yumamune of Oryx was playing elite at third base for Oryx, and he was spectacular at times, and he got his well-deserved first gold glove. Uh, player on the rise, hopefully, and uh, <laughs> a lot from a guy who was the second pick in the 2014 draft for the for the Buffaloes. But moving right along, making a seamless, I hope, transition. Uh, we do this every year. We talk about our most memorable moments of the season, so... If you have yours ready to go, feel free to go. Okay, go ahead. On September 10th in Chiba, we had Masahiro Tanaka pitching against Roki Sasaki, which was, to me, sort of like the event of the season. Mm. Now, a lot of Masahiro Tanaka's starts were sort of like big things, especially at the beginning of the season, you know, when some silly announcers were talking about how well they had to dress. They felt they had to dress up to cover Masahiro Tanaka's starts, you know, the big major <laughs> league. Okay. That was, that was at Stomo Uemoto. So we, maybe we can just discard that as rubbish now. Okay. Or, 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 or let's all clap and applaud him since that's his thing now. So, <laughs> but it was, it was uh, Sasaki saying afterwards, like I was so pumped. I didn't want to be the guy who left the mound before. And both guys just really, really pitched well. Uh, fun game, two completely different kinds of pitchers, but you could see two guys who were really excited to be there, two teams that were really excited. And 
uh, playing up to the moment. The uh, Marines beat the Eagles 3-2. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka gave up two runs in eight innings, and Roki Sasaki gave up uh, two runs in eight innings and struck out nine batters. And I think he, he at that point, threw the fastest pitch he had uh, in his career so far. And I believe the nine strikeouts were also the career high for him at the time. Yeah, it was a great game. It was must-see TV, and I remember watching as much as I could of that game, so that was great. Um, my moment came on October 12th. It was a game at Kyoseta Dome in Osaka, and in the eighth inning, a game between the Orcs Buffaloes and the Marines, and it was Yuma Mune who launched this two-out, two-run home run and mm. hit it out really – I mean, it was a no-doubter to right field, and he did his usual celebration, and – then he sat on the bench and then the moment just kind of overwhelmed him and he, and he began to weep. And mm. I usually tease players about crying in baseball. I've done it through the years, but I think so men, so much went into that particular swing and that particular moment. And it was a big hit for the Buffaloes. They were down by two runs. They tied the score 2-2. There's, the game ended 2-2, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a victory or anything, but it just said to me, okay, this team, you know, the guys noticed that Mooney was on the bench and, you know, tears were streaming down his cheeks and guys were slapping him on the shoulder and saying, good job. And, and I, you know, I didn't start crying too, but I certainly was in the moment with that team. It had struggled through the years and they, they just realized they could do it. And a lot of times when you're a team on the rise, lots of, lots of pundits and, and experts and uh, former players always say, well, you know, I'm going to go with the team that has the most experience. Or I'm going to go with the team that's a, that's the defending champion until somebody knocks them off. And, and nobody believes you can do it until you do it. And sometimes you're not sure yourself until you do it. And I think that swing kind of just took the, you know, it's still October. Uh, I think the Buffaloes needed that game. They were playing against the uh, the team that was directly behind them anyway the, in the Marines, and they needed that game. Both teams really needed the game. And I think even though they didn't win, they didn't lose. And I think they got the confidence that they could do it. So that's how I'll remember the uh, Buffaloes and the, this whole season. Um, two teams, again, we had in the Japan season, uh, in the Japan series that had come off of back-to-back uh, last place finishes in their respective leagues and got into the Japan series. And uh, that's how I remember this season. Let's go to fielding questions. All right. This is part two of a question that came a while back, <laughs> quite a while back. <laughs> we, fact, like to, we, like, we like to let them age a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Think this is a vintage question. Fine. Yeah. Fine, fine. So this came from Roger in Tokyo and he sent it via email and he said, your take, what if NPB had allowed even just one extra inning this season? How different would things have been in the league for teams like the Hawks? Um, Jim. Well, uh, the first thing of course, is that one extra inning had a huge effect on how often games were tied. Now, last year, when they limited games to 10 innings, we saw the the ties shoot up because teams could use more, uh, they could go to their bullpen more quickly. Although they Mm -hmm. really didn't get into high gear until, you know, Tatsunori Hara said, like, you guys, (laughs) all you other managers, like, get your thumbs out, dudes. (laughs) Like, like, don't you know oh, where the bullpen? 
Yeah, don't you know where the bullpen phone is? What do you got your starter in the game for? It's already it's, it's already the third inning. So, <laughs> so basically what we saw as the season went on, and I haven't documented this, but I probably oughta, is how the the length of starts, you know, after maybe after a guy gave up one run, uh, shrank probably f- after the Olympic break when managers kind of got into this thing. Well, hey, we're not playing 12 inning games anymore. Mm. So I think, you know, it's a good question. And I, th- I thought about it a lot. And I, I think um, my answer is the teams, it w- the teams that were helped the most by having nine inning games this year uh, were really two teams that were really helped by playing nine inning games were the Buffaloes and Yakult Swallows. Mm, the two teams um, that op- made it to Japan series. <laughs> for, for opposite reasons. Uh, the Buffaloes, and the reason is the Buffaloes starting pitching was pretty good, but the two guys who did the bulk of the work, Hiroya Miyagi and, and Yoshinobu Yamamoto, probably couldn't have gone too much deeper in many of their games. They were no. pretty much, they were, you know, yeah. they were throwing real long games anyway, 130 pitches, 120 pitches. And their bullpen was really pretty mediocre, except for a couple of guys. Uh, well, I mean, they had some middle reliever guys, but the late inning, uh, except for uh, Yoshisa Hirano, was pretty shaky, and he didn't start the season with them. Mm-hmm. So those they were hurt. And the Swallows, who had really good pitching, you would think, well, they, they should have really done well. But the I, I think my take on the Swallows is is that their starting pitching was managed was orchestrated magnificently and the guys okay. went just as deep as they could. Sure. They didn't, they didn't pitch a ton of innings. You know, you knew, Oh, today's Masanori Ishikawa's, you know, okay, well he's allowed one run in his last si- one run or less in his last six games. So let's see if he can pitch into seven. No, it ain't going to happen. Right. So they had the bullpen and that could have gone that they could have gone a little more with the bullpen that but they used their bullpen an awful lot and their starting pitching uh, maybe at the end of the season with a couple of guys as we saw in the playoffs they could go pretty long but for the most part no so those two teams are really helped the teams uh, who would have been helped by playing longer games I'm going to give you four Hunching Tigers Chinichi Dragons uh, Rock 10 Eagles and the Nippon Ham Fighters. All these teams had pretty good starting pitching, pretty good bullpens, uh, but you know, so- solid starting pitching that could have gone deeper into games if they had to, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty reliable bullpens. So those guys, the Hawks were not quite there with the starting pitching. Their starting pitching, um, however, that might have changed if if uh, Kodai Senga had been available the whole season. And uh, Yuito Mori had been available for more than a month and a half. So, but last year, no, that they were one of those teams that probably was happy to call it a, call it quit, call it Miller time at nine innings. Yeah, I think the Hawks bullpen kind of struggled. But so that's interesting how you were saying that the the Buffaloes essentially were able to hide their bullpen a little bit and the troubles there, whereas the Swallows were able to. Uh, use exploit that rule and and go to the bullpen earlier and i think that i think a lot of managers had such an advantage by only having to consider nine innings because most of the time when you go into the game you're not sure if you're going to be going nine or more innings so you have to be conservative 
on occasion in some of your decisions. But when it's all said and done um, before the game, that you have to go at least nine innings to get you know a victory, then it just changes everything. I think we, we saw Chihaya Sasaki uh, had eight wins out of the bullpen early on in the season because Tadahito Iguchi, the manager, knew he could go to him in certain situations and just brought him in. And they, the, the Marines just happened to score runs and, and give him victories when he came in. It's not that he pitched a whole heck of a lot of innings or he, you know, he was the, the go-to guy or anything. Just, you know, it was circumstance and he was in that spot where he was going to get, he was going to get decisions if he. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically he came in and um, pitched, he threw scoreless innings in tie games. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I, I can't say it would have really benefited the Hawks. I think one of their many issues was late game relief. And we saw that Morty wasn't there. Uh, obviously we had the official retirement announcement of Dennis Sarfate. Congratulations, buddy. Um, that, you know, they just didn't have the same bullpen as before. And injuries were a part of that. And some ineffectiveness was a part of that. And uh, I think teams getting used to the same song and dance was part of that too. And then mm-hmm. you look at the Swallows and they had 18 ties. And I think it just, it, you know, it, it, it certainly ha- helped boost their record um, because they had, they ended up with fewer wins than the Tigers. And and I see it this way. If a starter can go six quality innings, those potential outs that you have to manage at the end of the game, it just makes it a little bit more easy. Yeah, um, when you know there's only going to be twelve. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, if they so, go six in, if they go six innings, there's only nine outs. So. Yeah. Yeah, I I should I should go and look and see how early uh, Tatsunori Haru. <laughs> I, he's he's just fun. I mean, if you can't you can't have have a good time with Hara, you're pretty much missing the boat. But I, I kind of got to look back and see when, you know, if his coaches tried to talk him out of bringing in pinch runners in the first inning or something. Hashtag high <laughs> heat. I thought you were going to say pinch hitters in the first inning. <laughs> uh, we can't rule that out. No, we can't. <laughs> That's what we we'll can't. see next year. Um, he, he has his starting pitcher, you know, his his opener throws the first inning and they bat around in the first inning. He has to send up a pinch hitter for him. <laughs> That'll be fun. All right, guys. Well, this was the last uh, podcast of the year. So thank you. This is uh, the end of year 11 for Japan Baseball Weekly. So we thank you for listening, uh, especially to the longtime listeners, Michael Westbay included. I think Jason Cosby as well. Mm. And uh, some of our listeners out there. Thank you for the question, Roger. Anyone else who has a question, hit us up on Twitter at JBW Podcast with the hashtag high heat send questions via email to Y-A-K-Y-U-J-O-H-N at gmail.com where you can hit us up on the Facebook page. Um, we appreciate it and we will be back sometime in January. I don't know when, but I think if I can get a vacation in here, I'm going to sneak one in. I don't know if it'll be domestic or international, but uh, hopefully it'll be international. I can go somewhere and <laughs> have a little bit I'll tell of you, fun. Okinawa was the, the thing about Okinawa. I was thinking this ain't Hawaii, but I'll tell you the best thing about it. The flight's short. You don't have customs. You don't have any <laughs> hassles getting in and out of the country. But uh, yeah, I might go back there in February if the teams will relax their reporting, you know, conditions, which I'm not expecting. So maybe I'm I'm too optimistic. Well, um, maybe we can end up doing a show together out in Okinawa. That would be amazing. That would be very cool. 
All right. Well, let's look forward to it, everyone. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And we will talk to you next year. Enjoy your off season. Yep. See you at the New Year. Follow the hosts on Twitter at JBW Podcast and at JBallAllen. And feel free to submit your questions by email or tweet with hashtag HighHeat. Thank you for listening to Japan Baseball Weekly.